back, everybody, to an exciting episode of Healing for the Soul podcast. I am your host, Robin Stoltman, where each and every day I bring you something a little bit different to help you become the best version of yourself through different tips, tricks, or other things that you may not have heard of. Today, I have my guest, Lane, on the show talking about simple, passive cash flow. So let's get started. Welcome, Lane, for being, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Robin. Aloha, everybody. So, Lane, what is your specialty and who do you like to work with? Um, so we work with high net worth clients, so a lot of doctors, lawyers, engineers, people making a pretty decent professional salary, um, and then people who are pretty good with their money, right? You know, they've gotten past the stage where you know they're in credit card debt, they have basic financial skills. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of have this, you know, just pretty much right away. I mean, my parents kind of taught me to be really frugal with my money. Don't pay, don't buy things I don't need. Don't go into credit card debt. Um, and I made a pretty decent salary as a as a working professional. I was an engineer when I started to work. Um, and we kind of teach them the kind of the anti uh, ways of doing things if you're a fan of Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey, right? Because a lot of those guys, they're kind of teaching folks who you know, they spend too much and or they don't make as much and therefore, you know, they're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Um, a lot of our clients are the, uh, you know, the, the max out 401k type of people, right? Or they, they are able to put away 10, 20, $30,000 a year from their paychecks. For those people, um, financial strategy is very different um, than kind of the, the baseline. It's more buying rental properties, buying, uh, going into investments, going into debt to uh, uh, finance these things prudently, where you have good debt service coverage ratios to be able to cash flow, and not necessary and do things like invest in Wall Street mutual funds, four hundred one ks. I'm not a big fan of buying a house to live in, although if you are somebody who follows Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, because you are credit card debt and not the best with finances, it is a forced piggy bank at the very least. And that I think that is still a good thing for majority of people in this country. Uh, but yeah, we're going to kind of talk about how the wealthy make money today. Awesome. Because I know like I keep telling people I'm like the wealthy know how to do different things with their money that normal everyday people don't necessarily know, especially like yeah. when it comes to taxes. So then what's the best way to contact you with the time zone? Um, simplepassivecashflow.com is my uh, URL, and I have a podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, Passive Real Estate Investing. Awesome. So then what's the basics of building a passive rental portfolio while working a full-time W-2 professional job? Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I think when people think about real estate investing, they think of wholesaling houses or flipping houses. A lot of that stuff is risky. It takes a lot of time and quite frankly, for people who make professional salaries, you shouldn't do that type of stuff, right? It's it's just not, you know, what you should be doing with your, your time. You should be spending time on your highest and best use, whether that is at a high paid job or if you're a parent, spend time with the kids, right? Instead of just screwing around with these things that you see on HGTV. So we are passive investors. We invest, we're buy and hold investors that invest in assets that produce cash flow. One of the ways we do that is we focus on buying properties that meet this 1% rent to value ratio criteria. 
So you take the monthly rents divided by the purchase price, and something that's 1% or higher is, is kind of what we'll target. So for example, you know, a lot of people that live in California, you'll be lucky to buy a place in the ghetto for $400,000 that'll run for $2,000 a month. And so 2,000 divided by 400 grand is half a percent. Less than 1%, that ain't gonna work, right? So a lot of times we're buying places out in the Midwest, the South that are $100,000 that rent for at least $1,000 a month. So we hit that rent-to-value ratio so we can hire professional property managers, which we typically have to pay eight to 10% a month of the rents. And, you know, we, we cash flow on a monthly basis. You know, we're more, more interested in the cash flow. When I was started working as an engineer, I bought for cash flow and I realized, wow, if I just keep doing this a few times, I'll be able to build up this cash flow stream, buy more assets and eventually quit my day job. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So then how does that work then? Because like for me, I am totally like, I don't understand any of like the real estate or the financial part of it. I just know that it's good to save money when you can, obviously for like um, emergency use or something like that. You know, like I understand that part of it, but like this, like the real estate part of it and the cash flow part, that's the part that I've, I, I really don't know about. But now like the rent to value ratio, you said 1% or higher. And that was, if I understand correctly, that was where you have, where you buy something for like a hundred thousand, then divide that by how many rooms with the rent? Well, well, you take it's simply taking the monthly rents divided by the purchase price. And then, okay. you know, you're looking for a ratio, you're, you're looking to get that certain ratio of rents to what you're paying for. Because right? you're essentially, you're not buying real estate, really. I mean, you are. But you're mm -hmm. buying an income stream, right, of $1,000 a month. And Okay, that makes sense. And that's kind of where I think, you know, most people, most people will buy properties based for hoping that the property will go up in price. But that's also the same flawed strategy that people got burned back in 2008 doing that. Typically, real estate goes up, right, as opposed to cars mm -hmm. and other depreciable assets. But in my opinion, you don't want to rely on that stuff, right? You want to rely on the monthly cash flow coming in to make, you know, and, and, and that's essentially what you can eat, right? You can use that to go buy groceries or most, most of my clients, it's, they use that to go buy more and more properties as it starts to accumulate. Um, and that's what I did from 2009 is when I bought my first property. And then 2015, I had 11 rentals because I was just buying the properties cash flow and, and compiled more money to buy the next one and at that time i was saving around 50 to 100 thousand dollars from my day job because i was just really frugal but you know this is it's not that hard i mean that's why i made the website simple passive cash flow because it is simple very simple right if you save money the, the trouble is kind of getting off of baseline right getting off of you know that that first beginning step of most people in america 95 percent struggle with Know, basic financial skills. Um, I made a, True. if people want to download, I made a free financial e-course because a lot of the, the kind of the beginner level stuff for like you know, beginning landlords. And this this course is for just beginning people. It's all free. Um, they want to grab it. They can text the word basic to 314-665-1767. But if you're kind of starting from square one, you know, 
you got issues with saving money, credit cards, I would start there. It's just, um, but you know, once you get onto like Simple Passive Cash Flow 1.0, right, you're able to save five thousand, ten thousand dollars a year. You're a good steward of your wealth. You can start putting your money into investments, and yes, you're going to have to go into debt to do that. But you know, I think this is the difference, right? Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, they're talking to children, right? Metaphorically speaking, in terms of financial literacy, right? But you know, you've got little kids. You tell yeah. you would tell your niece and nephews that are teenagers or older very different things than your very small, taller age kids, right? True. You and would. That's, the, that's the same thing Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey do, right? They're speaking to the masses, the little kids in terms of financial literacy. Where I kind of pick people up from, you know, they've already had that or they were born with it just by luck, perhaps, or parenting. And, you know, we take them and we start to build the wealth from $1 million to $10 million. And a lot of these, these secrets I kind of learned um, around 2015 when I have 11 rentals, I started to join different mastermind groups, get around other high net worth doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants. And I discovered a different way that they invested and they did things with their money. And what, I, what frustrated me was a lot of this stuff was very simple, right? You might say that you're confused by it, but the thing that's confusing you is that there's all this conflicting information out there, right? That is more for, you know, the, the, the kids, right? But nobody's teaching this stuff. What do you do when you're okay with your money and you need to take it to that next level to start building family legacy wealth? Um, and what I, what I realized is like the stuff that the wealthy do is very different than what average people do. And yet it's very simple what they do. And it's something anybody can do and start to phase in their, their wealth building strategy. That helps. Cause I know like my thing is like, I know like the main differences between how the wealthy handle taxes, why they don't pay taxes where everybody else does. Cause I'm like, they are smart. Cause I've told people, I'm like, so when I have my business, I can write off pens, even if they're for my kids. I can still write them off. It doesn't matter to the government. It's a pen. It can be business, even though it's personal. I can still write that off. And that's why I've told people I'm like, owning a business, there's a lot of benefits. Right. Like right. all and the monthly bills, everything. And that's what I've tried to explain to people. So I understand that part of it. Right. And, and just for people who aren't aware, I mean, as a business owner, I mean, even if you run a little eBay business or something small, I mean, you should be running a lot of your expenses that you would have done anyway through the business so you can get a tax deduction for that. But we're, yes. the reason why I in particular like real estate is real estate allows um, us to write off the, the property value, the, the building improvement value. You can't write off the land portion, but you can write off the building proven value because somewhere in the tax code they're like hey the, the the property value goes down over 27 years and it's worth nothing in 27 years you're still going to have a good building let's face it well right? yeah but, you still will. but on your taxes on paper you can take 127th of the value of your building improvement as a loss paper loss every year and oftentimes you know maybe my first property i think i, I think i was making about I mean, I was bringing in like $20,000 in rents. Obviously, we pay for property management, repairs, and there's some vacancy here and there. 
um, and maybe I profit 5,000 bucks at the end of the day. Um, which, by the way, if people want to go download my analyzer and really you know, get past that 1% rental valuation, we really want to start digging in, analyzing deals. You know, all the stuff is free on my website. They can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash analyzer, download the spreadsheet that kind of models this all out. Because, um, you, you know, um, but like, you know, you take this um, $5,000 a year profit for that one particular property. But I also overlay on top of that that I'm depreciating that asset six to seven thousand dollars a year. So I effectively created a negative loss for myself that I'm able to possibly carry that over to my personal side to even lower my engineering income at the time. Interesting. That that would make sense for how to carry it over because that's so I talk a lot about this on my like I have like yeah. a rich uncle YouTube channel where I kind of teach mm -hmm. the kids more about this type of stuff and everybody's kind of fixated or the CNBC news sources are fixated on like you know Biden's going to create all these high income brackets and really hammer the the high income earners. Well, it doesn't matter because the smart people are, are having are using losses to drive their income down to nothing. I mean, if people want to go look at my tax returns, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com/tax. Last year, my adjusted gross income was 25,000 bucks because I had used real estate to drive my income extremely low. And I mean, some people might say that's jacked up, right? But you know what? I'm the people and a lot of my clients are the people who are investing in real estate projects where the government needs the stimulus. We're just following what the IRS tax code wants us to do. If you're somebody who just invests in the Wall Street type of products, you're not really helping anybody doing that type of stuff. That's not where the government wants you to put your money. And therefore, you have to pay taxes. Hmm. That may, that's very, very interesting. So then, um, should you invest in the primary, secondary, or tertiary markets? Or I guess I don't even know what those are, like the primary, secondary, and tertiary markets are. Yeah, I mean, very, very common question, like where do you invest, right? I mean, so one of the the common mistakes people will make is they'll invest in what we call primary markets. So like these are like the sexy places to live, California, Seattle, Hawaii, Boston, New York. The reason why we don't invest here is because there's too much dumb money there. A lot of, a lot of people just have too much money and they build the prices of properties up. And essentially the rent to value ratios don't work, right? You're not going to find properties out there that's going to hit that 1% ratio so you're able to cash flow. So we go to these more secondary and tertiary markets that are less sexy. So places like, you know, just to name a few, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, Little Rock, et cetera, right? It's kind of more flyover states. And there you're able to find better rent-to-value ratio um, cities. They're not going to appreciate as much, but, you know, we are more cash flow investors. And, you know, the, the, the trouble with high appreciating markets is in tough times, they kind of come down crashing as evident in 2008. Okay. Because now what happened in 2008? That's what I was like, trying to understand. Because I know I was I was obviously alive in 2008, but I mean, like I had so many other things going on. So what was significant about 2008 as far as what we're talking about with the finances and the cash yeah, so, flowing? So, I mean, every eight to 10 years, you're going to have some kind of like recession or kind of pause on the on the growth, general growth. Um, normal, it can be caused by many things. 
for some strange reason in 2008, it was caused by a real estate um, crash because there was all this like kind of like no no money, no job, no income. They call them ninja loans that were propagated through the government, and anybody and their mother could get um, any a loan. And a lot of people were gambling on the price keep going up and up and up with these these variable interest loans. Okay. Fifteen years later, I mean, like they they put in all these laws in place so that stuff doesn't really happen, shouldn't really happen again. Um, I'm sure it'll happen again, but again, that's why I say invest for cash flow. You don't have to worry about that type of stuff. Um, when you're investing for appreciation, you're gambling on appreciation. That's that's kind of the the other side of the coin that you have to worry about that stuff happening. Okay, so that would make sense, like with the housing, then. So if you have, so if you buy a house and then you flip it, or you buy a house and you rent it, and then you're hoping that the value goes up, and then it does, and it goes down, then you're losing money. Right, but when you're and then cash- like the cash flow, it's not yeah. then. Right, you're always in the position to just sit and wait and hold on to the asset. Um, and I think this is where the wealthy have things a little bit different than average people, where average people, well, Dave Ramsey kind of, you know, he, he kind of puts debt as do not have debt, right? But mm-hmm. the way the wealthy look at things is, well, well, what kind of debt are we talking about here, right? Is this debt going to allow me to create a lot more money on the side, especially on a month-to-month basis? Well, then that's that's prudent debt. Um, I've written a lot of articles in Forbes. If people want to go and read it, um, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Forbes. But, you know, debt's a tool, right? You can, it's like well, a hammer. You, yes. you know, you can use a hammer to kill somebody on the head or you can use it to build a house, right? Just like debt is. True. Um, you, you just have to use it prudently. And the way we say to do it is, you know, buy, take, buy a property that cash flows and you, know, you have a healthy amount of buffer in there. So that in case you can lower the rents, in, in case there's some time you can lower the rents and you can still hold on to your asset and make your debt service coverage ratio um, of at least a 1.25. Um, and, you know, part of that is, again, go download my analyzer and go play around with the numbers a little bit yourself. It's not that complicated. Um, it's not rocket science. So I think that's this is where, like, all the Wall Street companies, they try and make it very complicated. So, you know, folks like yourself are like, oh, it's complicated. I'll just let you guys do it. And that's exactly what they want, right? They want everybody to feel stupid True. so that they give your, your money and they can take all this hidden fees and carried interest. And that's what's been kind of frustrating to me and why I created Simple Passive Cash Flow because it's just, it, it frustrated me that a lot of hardworking Americans blindly put their money into that garbage. And, and, and they're all kind of brainwashed to do that. There's so much financial dogma to put money into Wall Street products, whereas these companies are just robbing most of people's retirement money away from them. How else do they have these big buildings or high corporate salaries? I mean, where I, I got lucky, I learned pretty early on that if I just invest in real estate and if I'm making money with a little bit of appreciation, cash flow, tax benefits, and the fact that the tenant is paying down my mortgage for me and getting my equity built up that way too, I could be making 20, 30% returns on my money. Um, people want to go to my website, check out like a little whiteboard video where I did of this, where I break down the numbers, go to simplepassacashflow.com slash returns. But in my early 20s, I was like, why the heck would I want to put my money into this stuff at 8 to 10% when I could be doing it something I understand, I can control at three to four times that much. Hmm. 
that that makes sense because I know like one of the things that I know has stopped me from wanting to do rentals is you know like you get like so I know a couple people who have done rentals but then they get the people that are I could basically call them the low lifes, the ones that don't take care of anything. They don't really care about themselves or other properties. So um, these people ended up having to have the house demolished. Never yeah, got yeah. anything out I of mean, rent. I mean, it's so it's like, awesome. how do you prevent those issues? Or are they even preventable? Yeah, I mean, this is, this, this is good. Let's talk about this type of stuff, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. in anything you do, there's going to be barriers and and, and risks, because like this is risk, you know, and that's why I think a lot of people that are like the average ones, like you're, you're talking about, are not willing to do. As a business yeah. owner, you have to be willing to take risks. So I'm like, right. I know all about the risks. Right. But how do you consciously mitigate the risk? So as, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, like, well, what happens if a tenant screws up my property? Well, what you try and do, you try and screen your tenants from the beginning. And True. I'll be honest, I don't know how to best do it, right? You look for one third of the, you know, of the rent to be their income and you look for criminal background, but this is where I delegate a lot of this to professional property managers. You, again, you pay them 10% of the rents and you can pay them when you have cash flow in the property, right? You have a good cash flowing True. asset. I think that will get themselves into trouble in the first place. The silly property doesn't even cash flow, so they don't have people to pay to do this stuff, so they're doing it themselves and this is, where all the, the, you know, we tell people, don't be landlords. Don't be the mom and pop landlord, fixing toilets yourself, filing evictions yourself, screening tenants yourself. I don't know how to do any of that. I own 6,000 rental properties. I don't know how to do any of that, right? But I know how to hire the right people to take care of that stuff for me and keep them accountable to do that for me. Um, so that's what their job. Their job is to screen the right people and to kind of police the tenants for you. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you take a security deposit, but you know, if they're going to really screw up the property, you're right. This is the risk involved with it. And, but what I say to that is like, look, we know what's going to happen if you keep investing and, and saving diligently with your retirement plan and that 401k mutual fund type of stuff. We know what's going to happen. I mean, here are the numbers say where you're going to be in five, 10 years, your life will drastically change. If everybody said what I, Kind of just proposing to start off with just buy a handful of rentals right quit your job in five to ten years like most of my clients then i mean who would build our bridges who would you know who would, who would get our coffee for us right like not everybody can do this right and they shouldn't no. because society no and that's what that's well that's what i was saying too you know for those who you know like I was even thinking, you know, like I said, about for the people who there's like a difference, like you can tell. So I'm glad that you do have that ability to hire somebody that can help weed out like the good from the bad as far as, you know, should you rent them or should you not? Because I know like I think that's like the biggest mistake that a lot of people make is why I brought it up, too, because it's like you get a whole lot of those people that do that. And it's like the incident I'm still like, still like thinking about and still makes me upset because it's like it's it would be helpful to have that so then um, other than apartments and rentals what are other recession proof asset classes are there and is it better to invest in an apartment building or like a hotel or what's your 
what's your yeah, I mean, take our, on either one? Our investment thesis mm -hmm. is like what I go after is I, I want to be investing in things that are sort of recession proof where there's a high amount of demand even in tough times. So this is why we go after workforce style housing, right? Housing for the lower middle class, which is the glut of America. Most people are, I mean, the, the middle class is shrinking. It's going away. Um, it is. So we, we invest in more of these B class, C class types of housing. So A class is your more luxury, your new stuff. We don't, we don't do that because the rent evaluations don't make sense in it. And in tough times, the A's move down to the B's, the B's move down to the C's. And we want to be that value option for the majority of America. Um, mm -hmm. So other, other recession-proof assets that cater towards the masses, the lower middle class, are you know mobile home park communities, self-storage facilities. Um, I mean, they're still semi-correlated with the economy. Um, but if you want to get really off the map and go to not correlated assets, you know, now you're talking about like investing in Walgreens, triple net leases, life settlements, that type of stuff. But for the most part, I think workforce style housing or things that cater to the to the lower middle class are kind of where it's at in terms of the best returns and the most safety and that type of stuff. You mentioned hotels. Hotels are very discretionary items, right? When people okay. when there's tough times, um, People stop spending money on vacations. They stop doing Airbnb and stuff like that. True. That's us like trying to figure out like what is better to rent. So, for example, not like this building that I'm in, my office. There's, I think there's maybe about seven more in this um, complex. So, would a building like this be better, where it's all professional offices? to rent versus an actual like apartment building for people to live in? What would be better? Well, you know, I mean, I think it, 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 it depends on where you are in terms of experience as an operator, right? If you've never owned real estate, go buy a single family home rental, learn the business first. Um, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of talking like, well, should I go learn calculus or should I learn physics? Well, Go learn algebra True. first, right? It's kind of one of those things. Um, I mean, at that point, you know, you start to build your network and you start to build experience. But for 99.99% of investors out there, they buy a handful of rental properties and then they start to invest more of as a passive LP partner into larger and larger deals. And this is kind of where I got, you know, most people become accredited investor. They surpass that $1 million net worth range. They realize mm -hmm. that their highest and best use is not operating the asset. Right? So they don't go buy larger properties or office buildings. They go in as a passive investor where they find a professional operator to go and invest alongside with as a passive investor where they don't do anything. They just put their money in. Um, and then they diversify over different projects, different operators, different geographic locations. So, I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the wealthy people or smart people, they realize their, that their ability kind of runs, runs to a certain point. Right. Um, you know, like I like basketball, but I'm not going to make it to the NBA. You know, I'm not going to make it to college ball, not even D3. Right. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. As an investor, yeah, you might have owned a handful of rental properties, but, you know, most likely you're just a mom and pa investor. And, you know, the point of buying rental properties is to get your network up to a certain level to then be able to partake and build your network to get into other closed private placements and syndications. 
after a certain point in terms of the network. So then would it be a good idea for people that are looking to get out of poverty, would it be a good idea for them to start investing if they can? In yeah, the past of course. Cash flow? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, it, the best time to get started was like 30 years ago or yesterday. True. Um, the, the, this is how we kind of break it down for folks. Mm -hmm. Like if your net worth is under a quarter million dollars, you don't really have too many options, right? You're not going to be invited no. to be in a private placement or syndication. You've got to start off just like how I did in 2009 when I didn't have any money. I just bought a single family home and I waited a couple years to go buy the next one. And then I, you know, at that point, you're just constrained at how much money you can save every year. You know, most of my clients, they make high salaries and they're good savers. So they're saving at least 30 to $30,000 every year. But with that $30,000, that can be a down payment on a rental property every single year. And you know, it's not a get rich quick thing, but no. in, in a shorter period of time, you know, these the cash flow starts to compile on top of each other. They could possibly buy two properties every year. But at that point, they've probably stepped up. Their net worth has probably surpassed half a million million dollars. So that now that they're 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 investing more of the passive investor in larger deals, like a syndication or a private placement. And that's that's how you play the game, right? Like, I mean, if you're people are starting out, they can download my free remote rental e-course. Um, they can text the word remote to 314-665-1767. And they can start learning about buying remote rental properties, just like how I did it got started. That's awesome. Well, you've given a wealth of information, especially like me. I'm it's like I said I didn't understand a lot of it, but now I understand more of it than what I did. So I really appreciate that, and I'm sure my audience does as well. So yeah. what was the best way to get hold of you again, Lane? Um, they can go to simplepassivecashflow.com. Um, a lot of my stuff is free on the website. You know, I mean, just, there's a lot of fake gurus out there that kind of teach about flipping houses and wholesaling houses. Again, we don't do any of that type of nonsense. Um, and then they, you know, a lot of these guys will charge people 20, 40, 50 grand to do that stuff. You know, we try and give away all of the information for free for folks to get started. Um, we put together higher level, higher level masterminds for more of our credit investors is kind of how we've monetized our group. But you know, if you're just getting started, we just have a lot of free stuff for you guys to get up to that point eventually one of these days. That's awesome. Cause I know there's so many things going on in the world, you know, today that I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to not play into like the fear of what happens if this or happens, you know, or that happens. And it's just like, yeah, you got to protect and, your family too. And that's the hard thing, right? Like, I mean, that's why mm -hmm. I created classic cash flow specifically catering towards higher paid professionals. Like there's so much noise out there. That's the hard part. And like, who do you, not really, who do you trust, but like, which, which information is for you? Right. Like, yes, I like Caesar. I like Dave Ramsey. I like, their shows are kind of entertaining and they have some good stuff. But again, they're catering towards possibly a different clientele than where you are right now. Yes. Yeah, because I know it's like my my problem is not budgeting. My problem is I need the income part of it. So right. I'm like having an income problem is a very different than a budgeting problem. Right. You, you've it got to pass the same thing. And it's time to buy some assets that increase your income. Yeah. Give you some more tax write-offs and, you know, grows your money slowly over time that way. And then something where you can actually make, you know, make grow your money. 
Yes. Because you want more money, you got to put it out there. That's why I'm like, talk to people who've been there, done that. But I agree with you. There's a lot of the fake gurus out there. Like even in my profession, there's a lot of them that I'm like, watch who helps you. Watch what you're doing. You don't want everybody to help you with your mindset. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of like the, the fake gurus, they will kind of they'll get people who don't have money on this hope, right? You can be rich. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't really work with broke people. I work with people where they're more their mentalities or they've already worked hard and have a sizable amount of money. Yes, we're going to grow it prudently for them. But mostly we're here for capital preservation for them. They can continue to see their legacy grow over time. Which is a good thing to have, especially because we need more of the people that actually care. And I can tell that you're one of the people that do care just by, you know, giving a lot of that free for people to get started in it, you know, and really help educate them first before they go and jump into it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Robert. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lane. I really appreciate your time and your energy. So have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.